turn in your New Testaments to John 3, 14 through 16. John 3, 14 through 16. And this is the Word of God and a very well-known scripture. As Moses lifted up the servant, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. What do you say that has not been said about John 3.16? The answer is nothing. <laughs> This morning, what I want to start with is the idea that God's love is big. Uh, you know how in the Olympics they say the Olympiad is officially open? Let me say the missions festival is hereby officially open. And we start with the idea that God's love is big. God so loved the world. But... I not only want us to see that God's love is big, I kind of have a, a goal for us personally as we think about God's world-sized love in the gospel. Here's the goal I have for each of us. I want us to seek to become in some way like children this morning before the heart of a loving God who loves the whole world. And let me just tell you what I mean by that. Re do you remember how you felt the first time you realized just how big and beautiful the love of God was? And you, you kind of realized that God's love is big and you were included and that you're a part of this, this big thing of God's love. Maybe you were a child, may maybe you were older, I don't know. But do you remember when you just realized how big the, the love of God was, uh, do you remember when you started realizing for the first time God's love for, for all the peoples? You know, suddenly it wasn't just about you and your friends and, and, and your youth group or whatever or your church or even your school, but suddenly you, you could start to see different peoples in the earth. Remember when you learned this little song called Jesus Loves the Little Children? Or maybe as a parent, you watched your child learn, Jesus loves the little children. I won't sing it, I'll just say it, okay? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? And see, what I want us to do is capture that sense of this bigness and this beauty and this unstoppableness of God's love for the world. And we need in our day to recover a kind of wide-eyed wonder about God's love again. You know, in our cultural context, there's a lot of negativity about Christianity. And, it, and it's, it's ramping up through television. I mean, when was the last time you saw something on television or in a movie or in a book that just lauded Christianity. There's kind of a negativity. There's kind of a, um, an ambivalence. Like, you know, you, what you're supposed to be is kind of ambivalent to things religious. Or, oh, that's yours and there's nothing special about that. 
And it, and it all kind of starts to feel a little heavy, doesn't it? It does to me. And a little murky. Maybe we can just kind of cut through some of that and just get some lightness and some bounce and some brightness and some joy and some anticipation by becoming more like a child this morning about God's love. You know, America, like Europe, is slowly secularizing, including the South. And that's because of global communication. That's because the messages now are uniform for, the, for all the sections of the United States. I realize the Northeast, the Northwest, and other parts are, are kind of ahead of the South in this slow secularization, but it, but it is definitely happening. And there is a kind of declaring independence from God in some way that I decide who God is, and I, I decide uh, that to live my life the, the way I deem right. But even so, people need God's love. You know, I, I'm glad to live right now. Don't put me where it's easy. You know, I, I like living where it's hard because you know what we get to see in a slowly secularizing world? We get to see the power of the love of God to overcome the human heart, to overcome something that's going 90 miles per hour in this direction. And God just says, I am God and I love you and here's how I've loved you and you can have my love. I want you to know that even though there is that kind of ambivalence here and in Europe, and even though there's kind of a rising sense of negativity, it's not like that all over the globe this morning, folks. It's just not like that. That's not what's happening. Though we see the, a, a rise in skepticism and, and therefore cynicism and, and even, even a kind of uncritical atheism, you know, just kind of taking on atheism without even thinking it through, just because we're declaring independence from God. Um, we need to remember that people in other places, and I'm talking about in the third world, I'm talking about across oceans, are so ready to receive God's love. It amazes me how in different cultures God has prepared openness and, and ours will come too. You need to understand that. All this is a flow of history. All this is a flow of sovereignty. And, and people in these places are just so ready and God is moving and the gospel is so needed and we can be a part of that. I saw this when I went to India. I was shocked at the, oh, just, the just the utter openness that I saw there. People in other places aren't like us in Europe and in the United States. They, they're struggling physically. Their lives aren't, uh, they don't have a push button, remote control, order the pizza, it shows up, I kind of feel like I'm in control kind of world. They're wondering whether they're going to eat tonight. It's a whole different mindset about life. So many are just trying to struggle to survive in the third world. Let me tell you something about them. They may, they may never gain the world in Africa and in India and in peasant China and the Amazon basin and, and many other places, but they can have the most important thing. They may not gain the world. But they don't have to lose their souls. 
And they're open. And it's now. And we're the church. And it's such a joy to think that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are all these people groups, precious in His sight. And God is moving there. But don't you feel like just the sheer numbers of people in those places that need God? It's just overwhelming. It's so great. John 3.16 handles those numbers. You see, God's love in John 3.16 is huge. It's big. It is beautiful. Let it fill you with wonder. So God so loved the world, right? But that's not in John 3 where we need to start. We need to start in a different place. And it's the first thing I want to really kind of auger down into. That is before Jesus talked about God's love for the world, you know what he did? He talked to one person about God's love for that one person. This is John 3. You know, John 3, 16. So you flip the page over into John 3, and what do you see? You see this really famous conversation between Jesus and one of the, the members, one of the, the teachers, in fact, one of the leaders in the, the group called the Pharisees. You know, there were teachers in Israel. They were very strict and preservers of the law of Moses. Uh, they were actually so afraid to, to mix with other peoples and, and, and to be tainted by other cultures that they added like 600 extra laws just to, be, just to be safe, to hermetically seal off Israel from anybody and everybody else. And this man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus and he comes at night because the, the Pharisees are not thrilled about Jesus. And I won't go into all that right now. He don't want to be seen by the Pharisees. So he comes to Jesus at night. And, and Jesus meets this man. One on, and Jesus loves this man. He gives this man the gospel. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is incredulous. What does this mean? How can a man be born when he is old? What are you supposed to go back into your mother's womb and be born again? Jesus says, no, 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 no. Everybody's born of water, but you must be born, meaning, meaning birth, but you must be born of the Spirit and the Spirit comes and goes and the Spirit is powerful and God wants to give people a new life. Verse 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus is saying salvation's a gift from God. You realize what's wrong with us. It isn't reformable. What's wrong with us is so severe that nothing can help us. Nothing can make us right with a holy God. There's just nothing. There's no program. There's no, there's, there's, there's no sequence of events. There's, there's no sequence of truths other than the fact that what is wrong with us is so severe that nothing but the end of that life and a whole new beginning... Through God's work on our behalf and a, and a new life given by God, this is the meaning of life. This is what salvation is. And Jesus is saying to this Pharisee, you know what? You can have this. Unless you're born again, you're, you're thinking in the wrong direction. And then Jesus helps Nicodemus understand the meaning of the cross. And this is before the cross. 
Jesus uses a little Old Testament with this Old Testament scholar. Don't you like how, how he talks to him? Verse 14, you see, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You need to know that's straight from Numbers chapter 21. This is the story of the exodus and the wanderings and, and of, of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And Nicodemus knew this story very well. I'm sure that Nicodemus had taught this story as a Pharisee. Basically, in Romans 21, I'll give you the, 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 the quick story here. God had given his people a great victory over a superior military force. And that's what happened. The Jews weren't fighters. The Canaanites had the chariots. The Canaanites had the M1 Abram tanks, you know, kind of equivalent. I mean, all that, these were shepherds. These were wandering Bedouins with swords, basically, and spears. And so it was always God who gave them victory over superior forces. And that's exactly what happened again. And how did they thank God? They didn't. What did they do? Immediately, they started complaining to God and to Moses. Just like sinners do, right? You know, how is it that we can just, in one minute, just know just how blessed we are, and the next minute say, well, my life's just not the way I want it to be yet, and I'm just not going to be happy till it is, you know? I mean, we get this. And the judgment of a holy God suddenly broke out against rebellion. It doesn't always work that way, but in this case, it did. And God was justified in, whether it's a slow, long-suffering dealing with sin or whether it's a swift dealing with sin, that is God's call. God is holy. The, 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 the sin will by no means go unpunished. And that's why it's so great that God punished sin on Jesus, right? instead of us. But the wrath of God, the, the judgment of God comes out in the form, get ready ladies, of snakes. And there were snakes everywhere. I don't like snakes either, by the way. And the snakes started biting the children of Israel and everybody who was bitten was going to die. And everybody was in the process of being bitten. Because these were snakes sent from God on a purpose to bite to the glory of God. And they were biting. But God's love in Numbers 21 is so amazing. And it's so surprising almost. I mean, we sometimes imagine God this way, that God is, and He is, a holy God of judgment, and that's who He really is, and He is. And But God, being that stern, holy God of judgment, has to decide to love. That is not true. God is a holy God of judgment who is love. God is love, and, and God loves. It, it's an, it is amazing that, that even when there is no reason for anything but judgment from God because we are sinners, that God is constantly holding out His love to us. And so in the midst of the spreading of this judgment uh, that's just of God for their rebellion, 
God suddenly launches a counterattack against His judgment, the, a mercy attack against His judgment, a grace attack to save them from His judgment. God Himself is the only one who can save them, and He, and he does. Numbers 21.8, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, fashion a snake out of bronze. Lift it up on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at this bronze serpent on the pole. If you look at it, you will live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake lived. You know what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, we're not reformable. We're all snake bitten and we're all going to die. There's no hope. The judgment of God is against us. And, and you know, by, like being good by degrees isn't going to cure this snake bite. We are all snake bitten because of our sin. We are all perishing and we need new life. And just as the serpent was lifted up on a pole and whoever looked at it lived, just as, he says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever turns to Him, whoever believes in Him, whoever trusts in Him, will have eternal life, will be born into a new life. And this means you, Nicodemus. That's the, our first verse that I read. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. You know, Martin Luther said that one of the reasons that people don't get Christianity is that they would never look for a just and holy and almighty God of glory suffering on a cross. They would never, without being told, ever look for the God of heaven and earth on a cross? You've got to be kidding me. That, that this weakness, that, that this shame, that this suffering, that's God? Yeah, that's the counterattack of mercy and grace for you and for me. There he is, lifted up on a pole, on a tree, on a cross. It's astonishing is what it is. That is the gospel that Jesus shared with Nicodemus, with one person. And you know, when you get right down to it, missions is finally a person loving another person in Jesus' name. A person sharing the Savior with another person. That doesn't, it doesn't matter if that is in the Amazon basin or if that is in Madison, Mississippi. And let me just give you a hint. You can go to hell from Madison, Mississippi just as easily as you can go to hell from the Amazon basin. You can just write that down. And missions isn't, doesn't start with the world. Missions like John chapter 3 starts with a person to show and tell the gospel. But secondly, there's only two points in case you're wondering, but God's love is for the world, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. One at a time, 
way of God's salvation is world size. Now, I have to say that by the word world here, it does not mean the terrestrial ball. It doesn't mean the earth. Um, it, you know, it doesn't mean rocks and trees. Uh, it, what it means is the peoples of the earth. This is a Pharisee. What he's saying is salvation is beyond the Jews. It's for all the peoples of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. His love is world-sized. You know, like in the Olympics, when, they, when they, they say the world has come to Beijing or the world has come to London, they don't mean the terrestrial ball has come to London, do they? They don't even mean every single person in the world has come to London. What they mean is the nations, the, the people groups have come to London. And if we line the, John 3.16 up with the Great Commission, we understand that, that God's love is for all these people groups all across the globe. Go and make disciples of the nations. And by that, he doesn't mean a modern nation state. He doesn't mean a geopolitical unit. He means people that share culture and language and religion and affinity uh, a, a nation of people go and make disciples of all the nations and the great commission in Luke in case you hadn't heard in a while is repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem so you and I live in a global world every day See, I, I think this is a great time to understand missions because every one of us touch Globality, is that a word? It is now. Every day, by buying and selling, by reading and posting. And, and we need to think about God's love as being truly global. Look, God was into global before global was cool. You know, God is global in his love. But God didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. His love is powerful enough for India, for Africa, for peasant China. He so loved the world. And the word, word so here is a multiplier. You know, like you say, I love pizza, but you say, I so love my children. Love pizza and love children is two different types. So love children means I would die for them. It's a multiplier. I would give them anything that I could for their good. God so loved the world, you see. And let me tell you something about the world. The world didn't love God. If you go back two chapters to John 1, 9, and 10, you want to flip back there? The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And it gets worse. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The world did not love God, but God so loved the world. It's astonishing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And there's, there's the heart of it, isn't it? There's a, there's a very touching echo here of Genesis 22. Two. Remember when God told Abraham to go up on the mountain, Moriah, same place that uh, Jesus 
was crucified, go up on Mount Moriah and, and sacrifice his son. And here are the exact words, Abraham, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, even Isaac. Well, you know the difference between Abraham and God, the father, don't you? Is Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. And God, God the father, plunged the dagger right into the son. Lifted him right up on that pole. And we would never even know it. We would never think to look for God suffering on a cross without the good news. So God the Father gave His only Son and God the Son gave His life in our place. This is incredible. This is global. This is multiplier effect. This is intense. This is, this is sacrificial beyond anything that we can comprehend without being told about it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's purpose, you see. God's not up there just grumpy. God's very happy. God's very complete. God doesn't need anything. God doesn't have any minuses. And God is love. And God's on a mission. And God so loved the world. And He wants to pray purposes for them eternal life. And just quickly, that's quality because that's life with God forever. And that's quantity, right? That's eternal life. That's forever life with God. And it's just like we imagined it as children. We had to become adults to become jaded. It is just as powerful. God is just as big. His love is just as beautiful as we imagined it as children and more so. And God wants to save people from every tribe, nation, tongue and language and we shall see them one day before the throne and before the lamb verse 17 this is his purpose god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world why did he send his son but in order that the world might be saved through him yes mission starts one person at a time it is about a person but mission sees the world and wants to be a part of it i've got two stories and i'll probably only have time for one but I'll, I'll put the link on the city, uh, the, the, the thing that we can access. I'll put the link on the city. It's the top ten conversion, or you can just Google it, the top ten conversion stories reported by Christianity Today in 2014. They're amazing. And uh, one of them, and it just kind of shows what I'm talking about. One of them is called From Buddha to the Beloved, How I Became the First Ever Christian in My Family Lineage by Alexander Chu. Uh, Chu was raised devout Buddhists, 30 gods. He counted them in his house, over 30 gods in his house. Um, but in college, he began to take notice of Christians, and he began to really see the love that they had for one another, kind of the quality of life and how they loved other people. And um, he started being curious about Christianity through, this is that person-to-person thing, through encounter with Christians. He writes, in October 1997, during my junior year in college, I decided to take a study break. I started reading a little John Stott pamphlet called Becoming a Christian that one of these guys had given him. While reading, I grew convinced of my sin and need to be forgiven. I drove to an open forest area at night so he could be alone. I knelt down on the grass beneath the stars, and right there and then I committed my life to Christ. Listen to this. Tell me that people aren't open. I had grown up in a sea of deities, but never had a relationship with any of them. 
On that day, I experienced the living God. I'm reading his words. Emmanuel, God is with us. The peace overtook me as I gazed at the sky. That night, I became the first Christian in our family's lineage. You want to hear the other story? Can, we, can I go over time? Like two minutes? All right, we're going to hear the other story. This one's called Christ Called Me Off of the Minaret. <laughs> Through investigations, dreams, and visions, Jesus asked me to forsake my Muslim family by Nabil, I don't know how to spell it, pronounce it, Qureshi, maybe. Nabil was challenged by a Christian. Um, his grandfather was an Islamic kind of a missionary, and he was taught Islamic apologetics and he would he would like attack christians at the point of the trinity and he goes in and you can read the, the whole article he goes into great detail about how he kind of you know dug in with christians on that but he was challenged by a christian to look at islam with with e- with an equal critical eye that he is that he was looking at christianity he said look it's fine to criticize it's fine to investigate it's fine to not you know, to, to say, I don't believe that as far as, you know, you, you have to come to an understanding of it. But you, I don't think you've ever really looked at your own faith critically. This began a journey. Um, for the first time, he began to see the inconsistencies in Islam, and they are legion, by the way. And he, uh, he was more open to investigate after he saw the inconsistencies of Islam and the Quran. He was more open to investigate Jesus from a Christian perspective, and God started showing his love to Nabil through the Christ of the Bible. Quote, these are his words finally, I began mourning the impact of the decision I knew I had to make. On the first day of my second year of medical school, it became too much to bear. Yearning for comfort, I decided to skip school. Returning to my apartment, I placed the Quran and the Bible in front of me. I turned to the Quran first, but there was no comfort there. I read and read and read. For the first time, the book seemed utterly irrelevant to my suffering. Irrelevant to my life, it felt to me like a dead book. With nowhere left to go, I opened up the New Testament and I started reading Very quickly, I came to the passage that said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Electric, the words leapt off the page and jump-started my heart. Don't you love that? That's called regeneration, by the way. When God awakens us to the gospel, jump-started my heart. I could not put the Bible down. I began reading fervently, reaching Matthew 10.37, which taught me that I must love God more than my mother and father. But Jesus, I said, accepting you would be like dying. I would have to give up everything. The next verse spoke to me, saying, quote, He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who, has fa- he, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find, find it. I knelt at the foot of my bed, and I gave up my life. A few days later, two, the two people I love the most in this world were shattered by my betrayal. To this day, my family is broken by the decision that I made, and it is excruciating every time I see the cost that I had to pay, but it was there in my pain that I began to know him intimately. To follow Jesus was worth giving up everything. He works with Ravi Zacharias Ministries now. Oh yeah, God's love is world 
sized. Do you acknowledge that you're a missionary? There's no opting out. What one person could you begin just to love and reach toward and reach out to? And then, is your faith world-sized? Or you just feel one of these people that feels like Mississippi is the beginning and the end of the world? It's not! Is it world-sized, you see? Are you a world Christian as well as a local one? Would you like to be? This is where the church is so helpful. You know, where the body of Christ, what's so great is, you, maybe, maybe God has motivated you today. You don't have to go to Barnes & Noble to buy a book. You don't have to comb the internet this afternoon. We can do this together. We have missionaries that we know flung to the four corners of the globe. You can do missions with us. You can know them. You can know the situation. You can go see them. You can go on a mission trip to where they are that we do. You can support them. You can pray for them. This is exciting. We can do this together. So, come and be a part of the Missions Festival. There's going to be a whole group of people up here in a panel discussion. I'm going to lead it, and we're going to get right down to what it's like to be a missionary. We're going to talk to these people about what they are doing in these other cultures, what they see, what God is doing. This is, these are actual reports from those places. I'm talking about in person. You can actually touch the missionaries. You can shake their hands afterwards. So come Wednesday night uh, for this free-flowing panel discussion. And then next Sunday, you've got to come. Elias Medeiros, oh my, he's from Brazil, bring your earplugs. He is on fire for world missions. I mean, we do not need to amplify him. And he's going to preach it up, I'm telling you. And then finally, get your faith promise offer, offering ready. You know, get some skin in the game with world missions. Give something up. I want to finish by quoting the words of a, of a song by Brandon Heath called Give Me Your Eyes. A lot of y'all know that song. I love the song. Give me your eyes for just one second. Something to God. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes that I can see. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, would you do it? Would you open our eyes to how big and beautiful? Would you fill us with wonder like a child? about your global heart. Would you reach Madison County and the greater Jackson area through your people, through your church? And would you reach the world, even through us? We would count it a privilege and a joy. In Jesus' name.